Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, hey, if you're new, uh, we have been in a series in the book of James, and we've been titling this series uh, Practical Faith. And uh, we're going through kind of line by line, verse by verse, thought by thought in the book of James. And the reason we called it Practical Faith is because the word practical means to actually do something rather than to just have a concept or an idea. And we want to be the kind of Christians, we want to be the kind of church that doesn't just think about the things of God or have concepts about God or what he'd like to do in our city, but we actually want to live out out the gospel, live out what we believe God has called us to do with our lives individually and with our church. And so uh, we're hoping that as we go through this series that the Holy Spirit would empower us to practically apply our faith to our every single day life. And uh, the last couple of weeks have been awesome. Um, I want to encourage you, if you were not here for any of the subsequent weeks, uh, if, you, if you can listen to one of them, go back and listen to the first week. Uh, because in the first week, we really did create sort of a foundation and a framework for this book. And uh, my fear is if we preach through concepts like the one we're going to preach through today um, without any context about the heart of the author, that it could come across as a bit religious and a bit controlling and a bit like you got to earn your way to God, which is the opposite of the gospel. And we explained that at the beginning of this book and the beginning of this series, the author makes it clear that everything he's asking us to do is in response to the goodness and the grace of God. It is, it is to say, that when we encounter the love of Jesus, that it will in fact transform the way we live our lives and not, we got to transform to earn his love. So please go back and listen to that if you were not here with us on week one. Uh, Today, we're going to jump into chapter one, verse 22, and uh, we're going to dive into one of those subjects that might be a little bit um, aggressive, uh, but I promise we'll let the air back into the room in a couple different places and it's going to be great. You're going to leave this place transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and it's going to be a good morning. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22. If not, I think we're going to have it on the screen, all right? That's the hope this morning, at least. Uh, James, chapter 1, verse 22, it says this. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, And you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, that is the word of God, that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about this idea of of doing what the word of God tells us to do, living it out. And um, the sermon title, uh, for anyone who hasn't already seen the spoiler alert on Instagram, uh, is offered to you this morning by the goat himself, the greatest of all time. And I don't want to tell you what it is. I want you to hear what it is. So uh, could could uh, could we just throw a little audio in here? Come on, if you know it, you can just sing it along. I know it's church and you just sang worship, but we can sing to MJ. I'm gonna make a difference, gonna make it right. Turn up the collar on my face. You guys aren't into this? This is like my favorite artist of all time, so you're gonna endure until we get to the chorus, all right? It's just gonna, thank you, thank you. My to be blind, depending not to see there. Guys, this is the gospel in music right here, okay? Before any of the gospel singers was Michael Jackson. Come on. Thank you. 
Just wait for it. It's coming. Why don't we stand to our feet? Come on. Lift your hands. It's going to be good. That's why I want you to know I'm talking with you. Oh! Thank you. We got cell phones going. Joy. You feel it? It's joy. Could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, you take a look at yourself and then make the change. All right, sit down. You people are crazy. Sit down, sit down. Okay. <laughs> Man in the mirror. We're going to go for it. You ready? Let me pray and invite Jesus back into his house, and then uh, we'll move on. Father, we love you this morning, and um, I thank you that even in the face of uh, production demons and... Um, all the chaos that comes along with starting a church, setting it up day in and day out. Uh, you are faithful and you are here among us and we sense your presence and we know that any amount of opposition, whether it be affliction or sickness or even dumb stuff like production, is simply a sign that the enemy and that hell is nervous because you want to do something significant in our lives today. I pray, Father, that you would change us before we leave this place. Holy Spirit, do a work on the inside. Let it not hit our heads, let it hit our hearts so that it can transform us today. And we just give you permission to adjust some things, to tweak some things so that we could live practically for you every single day in this city, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Man in the mirror, how many times a day, and you're allowed to speak back on this, how many times a day do you think you look in a mirror? Come on, a lot, okay, too many. <laughs> no one's actually got numbers. These are just confessions now if you're feeling that, yeah. Yeah, everybody's favorite thing we know is to look at themselves. People like to look in the mirror. And I'm not saying that because we're all, you know, conceited or weird or into ourselves. It's just, it's just natural. When you see a photograph and you know that you're in that photograph, who's the first person you look for? You look for yourself in that photograph. Uh, she's in here, so I'm going to bust my eight-year-old out, okay? She just put a picture of herself, her own baby picture next to her bed so that she could look at herself next to her bed. I'm like, that's awesome. Uh, we all love to look at ourselves, and because of that, um, statistics say that on average, we look in the mirror, ready for this, 25 to 30 times per day, 25 to 30 times. Now, if you're like, there's no way I look in the mirror that many times, that just means that some teenage girl borrowed about a dozen of yours, and she took them from you, okay, and she, she made up for your difference. So we, we all look in the mirror, and, and um, I don't find it that hard to believe that I would look into the mirror 25 to 30 times a day. Let's, let's just do some math here for a moment. Like when I wake up and I immediately go into the bathroom, what's the first thing you do? Oh, I look at myself in the mirror. I get rid of the stuff in my eyes and I go out into the kitchen. I make coffee for my wife and I go downstairs into my office and spend some time with Jesus. And then I come back upstairs and I put my gym clothes on. And what do you think I do after I put my gym clothes on? I look in the mirror to make sure they match and I look okay. And then I go downstairs and I work out and I come back upstairs and, you know, what do you do after you work out? You look at yourself in the mirror because you're really pleased about what you see. And... <laughs> or perhaps you're looking to make more progress or whatever it is that you feel when you look in the mirror. And then I take a shower and after I shower, I shave and guess what I do when I shave? I, I look in the mirror while I'm shaving and then I brush my teeth and I look in the mirror and then I get ready and as I put on my clothes, what do you think I do? I look in the mirror. And if you're anything like my wife, that may be a six or seven time ordeal as you change clothes and decide which outfit suits the day today. I, I look in the mirror constantly and then I actually have a mirror right by the door where we leave the house. So just real quick, before I get out of the house, I can do one last glance at myself and make sure everything's okay before I walk out the door. And that doesn't count any like visor checkups or you know Instagram selfie checkups or any of that stuff. Like I look in the mirror a lot of times before I even leave the house. Side note, 
Have you ever noticed that everybody has a mirror face as well? Have you noticed this? Like next time you're looking at yourself in the mirror, just, you, you don't just look normal. You always kind of smolder a little bit, you know? <laughs> My wife is the duck face. She is the consequent duck face. Yeah, all the time. See ya. So it is no surprise then when we look at things like social media, guess what the most famous post is every single day? It's a selfie. Yeah, 93 million of them every single day are posted to social media. We all like to look in the mirror. And again, it's not because we are into ourselves or we really like the way we look. I think the mirror serves a couple of purposes. It either affirms that we look okay and it develops some confidence in us, or the mirror can also show us what's out of whack and what needs to be adjusted. It can show us like, hey, you, you probably need to tuck that shirt in a little bit or uh, you probably need to lose some weight or, you know, whatever. The mirror can show you whatever it needs to show you. Uh, now, I want you to imagine something with me, though, but this may be difficult because it's, it's probably unlikely. But pretend for a moment you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and as you're getting ready to go out for the day, you notice that you've still got all the crusties in your eyes. Or, or maybe there's some broccoli that's left over from the night before in your teeth. Or maybe as you're shaving, uh, you just left a giant patch on one side of your face while the rest of your face was clean shaven or half a mustache or whatever it is. Imagine after seeing that, you looked at it and you said, you know, I'm just too tired to deal with this right now. I'm just going to go out and do life. And you go out the door and you forget about the fact that you saw something that needed adjustment in the mirror and you just go about your day. And as you interact with people during the day, someone's like, hey, 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 bro, you, you know, you got a little something right here. You missed, you missed, oh yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I just didn't really want to deal with that today. I'll, I'll take care of it another day. And, and all day long, you live with that thing on your face or that thing in your teeth or the things in your eyes. And at night, you get back home, you look at yourself in the mirror, you're like, yeah, I'll deal with it tomorrow. You go to bed, you wake up the next morning, you give yourself another glance and you're like, I'm gonna let it ride another day. That broccoli, it's leftovers. If I get a little hungry, I can deal with it later. You know, it's good. Now, that is very difficult to imagine. And the reason that's very difficult to imagine is because nobody would do that. Nobody in their right mind would look at themselves in a mirror and see that something is so glaringly out of whack and go, eh, we'll figure it out tomorrow. We'll deal with it next week, next month, no big deal. Yet, this verse of scripture tells us that while none of us would ever do that in the natural, many of us do it all the time in the spirit. That the idea of ignoring something that so obviously needs to be attended to is actually a spiritual condition that many believers find themselves in. Here's what he says again in James chapter one, verse 22. He says, don't merely be hearers of the word, but do what it says. If you merely listen to the word and do nothing about what you've heard, then you're like a person who glances at a mirror, turns away and chooses to forget what they saw. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Here's what James says. He says, the, the word of God is like a mirror. 
This is your second glance for the day, okay? <laughs> this counts, all right? And, and he says, every time you hear the word of God, it serves as a reflection for you to see where you're at, for, for you to see how you're doing in certain areas, whether it's preached, whether it's read, whether it's sung, whether it's prayed. Every time you hear God's word, it's like a mirror being held up to your life for you to compare and contrast what the word says versus your life. And, and I love this about the word of God. I love that when I pick up the Bible and I read it, I can't read it without it reading me. I love that I can't preach it without preaching to myself. I love that I can't pray it and say it out loud without it speaking back to me. That's the beauty of God's word. And no matter what fashion it comes in, whether someone prays over me or I'm reading the word or I'm sitting under the teaching of the word, I love that every time the word of God goes out, it immediately allows me to address where I'm at with Jesus. I love that. But, but, but James says it isn't just a hearing thing we're supposed to do. There actually should, should be some action to what we've heard. Like when I see in the mirror, when I see my condition, it should provoke me to change. And, and he, he diagnoses this problem that I want to I dive into for a few moments here. He says that the reason that some people don't actually allow the word of God to change them is because... We look at it a couple of different ways. Some people look at the word with a glance, while others look, he says. And he uses two separate words in the Greek to address this condition that people might find themselves in. There are glancers and there are lookers. The glancers are the people that he says, look at the word and don't do anything about it. They forget what they look like. And that word glance in the Greek is exactly what you would expect it to be. It's, it's, it's like a quick and unattentive thing, right? You, you're, you're walking by one of those uh, windows downtown uh, and you're shopping and you see your reflection in the window and you're like, oh, dang. Or you're like, oh, dang. You know, whatever, whatever it is. And you glance at yourself quickly and, and you move on. Chances are that is not the time that you would choose to make an adjustment to yourself. Like in a passing glance, you're not going to bring your razor with you downtown and hope that while you're passing by Old Navy, you get enough time to shave real quick. You know, you're like, hey, no, because you just glance and then you're not going to apply your makeup as you pass by a mirror and just glance into it. But, but he says the second word or the second way that people approach the word of God is they truly look at the word. And this word in, in the Greek, it means to bend down and to get close to so that you can actually see what's going on. It's like those makeup mirrors that some of you guys have that like amplify your reflection and you see every wrinkle and every crevice on your face and you're like, oh, I got to deal with that. I got to address that. Like I, I um, I'm Italian um, partially and that means that I have hair that sprouts out of random parts of my body. And my wife often makes sure that I, I know that there's a, a rogue hair on my ear or my earlobe or something. And so, you know, I occasionally have to, this is probably overshare, but it's okay. Um, I occasionally have to get really close to the mirror and, and get a little pair of tweezers and, and, and pull out these air, hairs that my Italian mother gave me because she offered me my heritage. Like, I can't just do that standing at a distance and hope that I get it. I, I got to get really, really close if I'm going to address the issues 
that exist in my ears. And, and that's what James says we're supposed to do when we hear the word. We're supposed to get close, allow it to get up in our business so that it can bring about some change. Some glance and others look. So let me ask you, are you a glancer or are you a looker? Are you the kind of person when the Holy Spirit convicts you of something that you immediately respond? Or are you the kind of person that's like, yeah, I'll deal with it tomorrow. I'll deal with it next month. It's all good. Let, let, let's, let's go back to the first sermon we preached to the year. Because remember, this is about hearing the word of God. First sermon of the year was, I'm going to live wastefully. I'm not going to hold anything back from God. I'm going to give him everything I have. How are you doing on that? When the Holy Spirit said, hey, um, it's time for you to operate in generosity and, and, and time to give. How are you doing in that? When you walk by that person in, in your office and you know they're going through it and God said, I want you to pray for them. Did you do it? That relationship that's toxic, that every time you try to get close to Jesus, he brings up, have you done anything about it yet? Okay, I know, it's uncomfortable. I feel it, all right? Like, okay, back off, bro. Like, calm down. Okay, I'll, eyes off of you and eyes onto me for a moment. If I'm honest, I would tell you that often I am guilty of glancing and not looking. And I know that I should know better by now. I've been serving Jesus for a while, but often I pray for things and then have opportunities to put them into practice and I blow it. And I'm probably not alone in this, but I, I know that there are areas of my life where I should be allowing the, the, the looking into God's word to change the way I live, but often I just, oh, I'll pray about that again tomorrow. I've actually prayed for the fruit of the spirit which includes patience and kindness and love. And then I've walked upstairs and I have unloaded on my children for doing something while I was trying to pray. Like, hello. Every day I pray that God would give me opportunities to love people in this, in this city and to share the love of Jesus with them. The other day, uh, I walked upstairs and my daughter was sitting in one of these chairs. We, we live across the street from a walking path and she's looking out the window and she said, Dad, did you see that that guy over there just left a water bottle sitting on the, the curb right there. He littered. And I said, well, no, 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 he's, he's doing a little exercise thing. He's doing his, his thing. And I said, he's probably gonna pick it up when he's done. So he finished his thing, and his little like standing on a log and doing his, doing his leg thing. And then he teed up the water bottle and he just <laughs> and kicked it directly into the middle of the street. Now, a person who prayed to display the love of Jesus to the world around him would have been like, it's okay. I'll just go pick up the water bottle. That's what I'm supposed to do, serve other people. I opened my window. And I'm like, hey! Hey! He looks up, trying to figure out where the voice is coming from. This is God. No, I didn't say that, but he said, hey, some of us live here. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. My wife comes running from the back of the house and she's like, I was trying to pray, is everything okay? What's going on? You shut up. I'm showing the love of Jesus to someone right now. Justice will be served. 
I walked outside in my pajamas and I like picked up this water bottle and I'm screaming at this guy like, some of us want this place to be clean and you don't have to look at that water bottle all day long. Father, give me opportunities to show. (laughs) Pray for me. Now, here's the scary thing. I'm a work in progress, so are you. We're all, we're all on this journey trying to become more like Jesus. Welcome to the team. Please don't receive any unnecessary condemnation here. But even though that was a one-time event, it becomes a little dangerous if I make a lifestyle of that. If I constantly pray for opportunities to love people, and in any given moment where I'm given an opportunity to do so, I choose to display anger and judgment and hatred. That becomes a really scary place to live. Because, because James says that people who do that live in willful deception. He said, if you're the kind of person that constantly ignores the conviction of the Holy Spirit and constantly does the wrong thing when you know the right thing to do, you are only deceiving yourself. That's what he said. Now, disclaimer, I'm not talking about people who are still trying to figure it out. We talked about this last week in temptation. If you find yourself falling into temptation, man, you gotta get back underneath that thing, you gotta fight again. I'm not talking about areas of your life where you are pursuing victory, so please don't hear that coming out of my lips. I'm talking about a lifestyle of choosing to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He says when we do that, we find ourselves in willful deception. And what's the deception? How are we deceived? We are deceived because we think that we can know the right thing to do and choose over and over and over again not to do it, all the while being like, me and Jesus are good. And it not affecting my relationship with God. Like, no, we're good. Uh, he, Jesus understands. We're okay. I, I know he told me to break that off. I know he told me to do that thing. But, you know, it's, uh, he's, he's fine. He's Jesus. He's all love. He's all grace. He, he doesn't seem to care. But let me ask you this question this morning. If you could sit down with Jesus and have a conversation about that sort of a lifestyle... How do you think he would respond to it? What would Jesus say? I'm going to tell you what Jesus would say because he's made it clear in his word what he would say. And, and to soften the blow ever so gently, uh, Taylor, would you please put the, the, the picture of Jesus on the screen that I'm going to offer up to everybody here? Yes, that's, that's Jesus holding the lamb. This Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only those who actually do the will of my Father who is in heaven. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never even knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. John 14, 15, if you love me, then you will obey my commandments. Luke 6, 46, so why do you keep on calling me Lord when you do not do what I say. That's Jesus. That's blonde-haired, blue-eyed, lamb-holding Jesus who said that stuff. Take him off the screen. 
Like, do you feel the weight of that? That should, that should stir up some godly fear on the inside of us because these were not scriptures that were written to the unredeemed world out there that wanted nothing to do with God. This was written to people that call him Lord. This is written to people that find themselves in church buildings every single Sunday morning. And he's like, hey guys, how are you going to call me Lord if, if you don't ever do what I say? By nature of lordship, I am the one in control. I am the one who rules your life. But if I don't rule, then I'm not Lord. It's been said before, if he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. Like, let's remember, yes, he is loving. Yes, he is graceful. Yes, he holds sheep, but... He's a jealous God that wants all of us, that wants our hearts completely and is not satisfied with half of us or three quarters of us or Sunday mornings with us. He wants all of us. And, and James is saying, guys, as I stated at the beginning of the first sermon, if we loved him, if our relationship was genuine, this would be the natural response when he speaks to our hearts, when he convicts us of sin, our natural response would be, yes, sir, whatever you say. Now, if we left the sermon here, this is what we would feel. You feel that? <laughs> You've felt that in plenty of churches before. That's the heavy-handed change your life kind of message. Hell is hot. You don't want to go there. Let's pray. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is not, well, you should know better. You should change. Now do it. No. I've tried to change myself. I can't. I've tried to stop. I can't. Try to clean myself up so that I could be presentable to God, it's impossible. And anyone who has tried to work their way up, to, up the ladder to God's approval knows it is a never-ending pursuit. So if that's true, then, then why does James tell us what he tells us here? Why does he tell us we should change when we hear God's word? What, what is the motivation behind this mirror? Is it just so that we can see ourselves and feel guilty and try a little bit harder next week? I, I don't think so. That doesn't, that doesn't seem to align with God's heart and God's character. So then what is his motive for the mirror? Romans chapter five, verse 20. says this, God's law, the mirror, was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But, come on, I love it when there's a big button scripture. But, as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, 
He did not give you a mirror so that you could constantly stare at yourself and feel inadequate and feel undeserving and just try to work on yourself a little bit more until you see him in heaven and realize it was all for naught. That's not the motivation. The motivation of the mirror was not to make you feel guilty and ashamed and to feel like you got to work your way up the Christian ladder before God will accept you. The law, the mirror was given to us, yes, so that we could see how sinful we were, but so that we could realize in and of ourselves, it is impossible for me to change, it is impossible for me to fix myself, and but for the grace of God, I would not be where I am today. Come on, how many grateful today that the grace of God met you where you're at, and you didn't have to work your way to it, but when you were in the bottom of a pit, still trying to figure it out, he reached his hand down in there and he said, Come, my son. Come, my daughter. My grace is sufficient for you. The intention of the mirror was for us to see how desperately we needed Jesus, how much we needed his grace. Now, we can't clean ourselves up. Only he can do that. In fact, let me take it a step further. Brandon, let me borrow you real quick. And pull down your hair so you look like Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> there he is. Now hold a sheep. No, okay. If this is how it works, if God gives us his word and he speaks to our hearts and he convicts us, whether we're in his house or someone's praying for us, or we're reading the Bible and he's showing us a picture of where we're at with him and we come to this place of, of, of inadequacy, realizing I cannot do this by myself, I can't fix myself, I can't clean myself, then the whole purpose for God holding this mirror was not for us to see the man in the mirror, it was to see the man behind the mirror. It was to see the fact that there was one who, with beautiful hair, loved us enough and said, I'm not doing this to hurt you. I'm not doing this to make you feel guilty. I'm doing this so that you can see without me, it is absolutely impossible to please the Father. It's not about the man in the mirror. It's about the man behind the mirror. Thank you, Jesus. Take the mirror back to your seat. Oh, you can keep it there, yeah. Come on, this is the heart of God. The heart of God is not for us to see ourselves. It's to see Jesus. When I open up my Bible and I begin to read it, yes, there are stories about characters and people that don't share his name, but it's all a story about Jesus. In the garden, it was about Jesus covering Adam and Eve. On Mount Moriah, when Abraham sacrificed Isaac, it was not about a, a chosen son. It was a story about a, a coming Messiah that would do the very same thing that Isaac did for, for his father Abraham. Like, it's all about Jesus. The goal is not for us to see how terrible we are, and leave us there. But the goal is for us to see how desperately we need him. As I was uh, prepping this sermon this week and preparing for mirrors and the likes, um, I was reminded that uh, a couple of years ago, there was something that took place that I, I want to I tell you this story because I really think it will help illustrate what we're talking about this morning, and then we'll pray. Um, this week, my wife and I are getting ready to go with my uh, daughters to a cabin. Her family rents a cabin out every single year, and we go up to uh, the poor man's Tahoe. I think it's called Arnold uh, or something like that. Uh, but uh, it's, it's snowy, and it's going to be great. And um, 
a couple of years ago when we were headed up there for a few days, uh, my youngest daughter, I think she was maybe three or four, uh, was not interested in playing in the snow at all. She hated it. It was cold. It was miserable. And so she wanted to stay in the car while the rest of us were playing in the snow. So we put her in the car, and uh, she was playing on an iPad or something. And uh, about the time we all finished up and we were done uh, for the day, we came back over to the car, and uh, without realizing that, you know, she may be standing up against the door looking for us coming close to the vehicle, uh, we opened up the back door of the car. And as my wife opened up the back door of the car, my daughter was leaning up against it. And she fell out of the SUV and she fell directly on her face to the pavement. And, I mean, just, she was, she was a wreck. Like, blood everywhere and swollen and it was, it was really, really bad. And she's screaming and screaming and screaming and we're a half hour from the cabin and so we try to put ice packs on it and, and she won't let anyone touch her and we're trying to coddle her. She's just screaming and flailing. So finally we get back to the cabin and uh, we're like, are, are her teeth broken? Do we need to go to, go to the doctors? What's the deal? And uh, I said, hey, let me, let me have a couple of minutes with her. So I sit down with my daughter in the living room, and she's at this point, she's, she's kind of collected herself. She's not screaming uncontrollably any longer. I said, baby, you've got, you've got like some, some, some gravel in your face, and you've got some stuff that I just need to clean out, because if I don't clean this out, your face is going to stay like that, and I don't want it to stay like that. I'm just kidding. I'm telling you that. But uh, I said, we, we need to clean this out so it doesn't get infected, and she won't let anybody touch her. And uh, I said, I, I need to look and see if, if your teeth are broken or what's going on. Again, she just won't let anyone get near her face. So finally, I had this idea. I said, baby, why don't you come upstairs with me? So I pick her up, and I bring her upstairs, and I sit her down on the vanity in the upstairs bathroom, and I face her towards the mirror. And that was the first time she had seen herself since the incident. And as she's looking at herself in the mirror and the blood and the swollenness, at first it's shocking but then she realizes, I don't want to stay this way. So I said, baby, you see, you see that rock right there? I got, I got to take care of that. You see how you're dirty right there? If I, don't, if I don't clean that out, then it's going to get infected. And finally, after seeing herself, she allowed her father to bit by bit, rock by rock, a little bit of peroxide by a little bit of peroxide, clean out her face so that the process of healing could begin. That is the heart of God. It is not to show you where you're at so that you can go, my God, I'm hideous. It is so that he can, piece by piece, and bit by bit, and heart condition by heart condition, and default by default, and issue by issue, and impurity by impurity, he can begin to clean you up so that you can become the creation he destined you to be, to look the way he wanted you to look. So here's my admonition to you today. What do I want you to do? I want you to be a looker. I know that that has another meaning <laughs> if you're over 50. Uh, but I want us to be the kind of people that respond to the Holy Spirit. If he calls something out in us, I don't want us to go, all right, I'll deal with that later. I want us to be the kind of people that listen to his voice and respond to his voice and see it as an opportunity to sit on the vanity with Jesus 
and to let him begin to clean us off so that we can become who he'd like us to be in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.